0: all right let's pray father we thank you for the story that you have written this perfect story that you love and that we are part of help us God to be drawn closer to you as we study your word and work through uh, work through the implications of your glory in Jesus name we pray amen Amen. I I requested hymn 483 this week to Justin because in the fourth verse second line for his sake i nothing seek but to sing his story and that is what we're going to talk about today is God's story that we are living in so the first four sessions in this or five sessions in this Sunday school we talked about what what do we talk about what was the what was the topic first Five sessions. Come on, guys, it's not that early. Yes, sir. God's Kingdom. We worked through five questions, and we got to, if you work through these five questions, I think it inevitably leads to postmillennialism. The church will conquer the world through the power of the gospel, because Jesus is on the throne, bringing that about. Now the question then becomes, well, this story that God is telling, is it His best story and we talk about other stories, like, well, it could have been, God could have written a story where Adam didn't fall. That's a different story. He could have written a story where Adam did fall and you don't exist. That's another story, right? There are all these possible stories out there. So why this one? And is it his best one? And this has a lot of apologetical implications that we'll, we'll get into. Well, let's begin. I love this. So this, I'm going to get into a proof here why I think this is God's best story. And a proof is, in most cases when we talk about proofs, we're talking about, we take assumptions that we're making that we assume to be true, and then through logic, we deduce some conclusion from that. And so the, conc- the conclusion follows from the premises, so or assumptions. So if your assumptions are true, you have to accept the conclusion. So that's a standard proof. We don't go through proofs very often when we reason, but, we should. Proofs are great. And so, and I bet you haven't, se- you haven't seen this before. So it'll be fun. It'll stretch us a little bit. All right. It's always good to start with Bonson on these things. Bonson says, God is the source of all possibility and thus sets the limits of possible reality by His own will and decree. Now, I gave you a hint here by highlighting some words in blue and some in yellow. There are two possibilities here. There are two distinct uses here of possibility. I want to see if you can pick this out. We use possibility in a few different senses. And we don't typically identify this, so it gets us into some problems. But the, we, uh, here, possibility is actually used in two different ways. Give me one. So the first possibility is linked to to whom? God, and is it is it is it, and what what about God? Who God is, right? So possibility related to God's power. Okay, so God has the ability to do many things, but He doesn't do all those things. But He has the power to do that. Does that make sense? So when we talk about possibilities, possible worlds that God could, could have created, possible stories. We're using that in the sense of that God has the ability to create all sorts of stories. Okay, that's, that's one kind of possibility. The other possibility is, well, God doesn't desire to create every story, right? When He chooses one, He neglects the others. Okay, so his will is also uh, dis- is distinct from his from his being, and his will is uh, is what he chooses then freely to do from his you know fr- that he can possibly do, and so that's a different kind of possibility now, right? It's it's what now it's now it's God's desires. What does He desire to do? Which is a different kind of possibility. You guys tracking with me? So two different ki- possibilities. It's really important we keep these distinct because they're often blurred or equivocated on. Yes, Jeremiah. Um, how is God the source of possibility if there is no potential in God? No, it's just, it's, just his, it's just his power, his ability. So he can he's free to create. He's free not to create. If he chooses to create, he could create a world with just stars. He could create a world with just bacteria. He could create a world with just you. He could create a world. He, that's right. Those, and, but those, all those possibilities are determined by his ability, his nature. Okay. But the word possibility could mean like potential, like something could happen that doesn't happen, that's potential. No, I would, I'm not using it in that way. Okay, so it's only, only
1: being used in the sense of there's something that could happen. That
0: possibility is just used based on our ignorance. We're, we're, we're going, hey, it could be one of these, these outcomes. Really, it's, that's already fixed, right? God's already written the story. Like, that outcome's actually already done. It's not – it's just possible based on our ignorance. But, but again, we're using possibility more based on what we know or what we don't know. Now, what Armenians get into is the story that we're living right now is actually some uh, – so if you're an open theist, God doesn't actually know the story, he doesn't know every detail that's going on. And even more extreme cases, he doesn't even know, he, he might know the end, I guess, when he wants to come back. But like everything in between, he's just, it's just open, right? It's, it's, it's determined by our freedom. Does that make sense? So that, Now that possibility is heretical, because it's not tied to God, it's tied to us. So we're the creators of possibility. But I'm not using that, in, I think that's refutable, clearly. Okay, so let's continue on. So, in taking Scripture as an absolute presupposition and standard for thought, the Christian apologists ought to maintain that there are no possibilities outside of what God is and decrees to be. Again, two different senses here. Again, not all Christians would agree with this, but they're wrong. Okay? Not all Christians would agree with this, but they are wrong. If you take possibility and you tie it to man's choices you are in fundamental theological error. God's will determines what will happen in the world. His will determines the story, not our, our freedom. Our freedom works within his will. Okay, so Aragorn ch- chose not to, go into the, not to go into Gondor as a king unveiled. Okay, he chose, to, he chose to go in covered to the house of healing and to heal Faramir and to to heal Eowyn and some others, Frodo chose to take the ring, right, by himself and leave the fellowship and to go into Mordor. And Sam chose then to follow Frodo. But all of that was under the will of whom? Tolkien. Okay, I think this is the right way to look at this. So Aragorn didn't create the story. His will did not create the possibility of what was gonna happen. Tolkien wrote what was going to happen and Aragorn freely chose to follow that will. Does that make sense? I think it's the best way we can picture this. But when you exalt the freedom of man to determine what is possible, you are in theological error. It's not a question. It's not like I'm 90% sure of that. Like you are in error. That's wrong.
1: You mean the, the pot that the potter makes can tell the potter what he wants it to be?
0: No, he cannot. The potter's freedom, as James White would say. Okay, so, Van Til, God's power should not be identified with His will, although God's will implies power to accomplish what He wills. this is not really a disputed distinction in theological history, even by Arminians. They just then get into… But when they talk about man, they get all messed up. Not all that is possible to God is actually realized. In this sense, possibility is greater than actual reality. You guys tracking with me? Yost, are you tracking? Good? Okay. All right. So I want to make sure we're not, because this is going to be important as we continue on. So make sure we're not. All right. Gearhardus Voss, the great dogmatic of church history. I love Voss. If you haven't read Voss, you need to read Voss. Uh, His his reform dogmatics, which he wrote early in his career, I think he might have been in his 20s. It was in 1893-ish when he wrote it. He actually wrote it. Uh, He and Bob Inc. did not have overlap in there. They didn't read each other's works before they wrote their dogmatics. And Voss is just beautiful. Uh, But he says God's omnipotence as the capacity to do, including what he does not actually do, is naturally distinguished from God's will. God does not will all that lies within the scope of his omnipotence. Okay, why did God choose then to create the world? What do you think? Anyone? Someone said, Tyler, what you say? For his own glory. For his glory. Gosh, you guys are ahead. You're ahead of the game here. All right. Christian theology contends that the whole of the meaning of history is that it glorifies God, and that God has himself created the world for that purpose. God wills, that is, by his providence, controls the course of development of the created universe and brings it to its climax. Throughout all this, he wills, that is, he seeks his glory. He seeks his glory. He seeks it, and seeking it sees to it that his purpose in seeking it is accomplished. God's glory is is accomplished in the movement of this microphone, in the swaying of hair, in the movement of the grass, in the twinkling of the stars, in your heart repentant or a heart unrepentant. In everything, God's glory is being achieved. There is no small detail, movement of atoms the quantum realm, like there's nothing outside of His control that He has not written for His glory, every detail. God created man in order that man should realize a certain end, that is, the glory of God. That – and this is is now, that perfection of God by which He uses His knowledge for the attainment of His ends in the way that glorifies Him most. They all may be reduced to a final ground, namely the glorification of God himself. All right, so why did God choose to create the world? For his glory. Now, this, is, this hasn't always been uh, taught in church history. So Leibniz, who's ever heard of Leibniz? Okay, Leibniz is the great polymath of the 17th century. He gets a bad rap amongst Christians because um, he was a rationalist, and he did some of this, like, deduction stuff, and, and he, did, he had some quirky beliefs. Um, yes. But Leibniz, though, is very good reading. Like Leibniz, you should read Leibniz if you can. He's a, he he was a great laborer for the church. Uh, he was a peer of Newton in calculus, and he was great at basically everything he touched. But he has some thoughts about possible worlds. So if you look up Leibniz, he he said that this is the best possible world. Now you may so when I bring up this proof, and I brought it up to certain professors at one it was at Westminster, and I brought up to others. And immediately they'll go to, oh, this is just Leibnizian. This is just that kind of thing. And i like, no, it's not. But, but I, when, Leibniz, when I read Leibniz's letters to Samuel Clark, he was tracking along the same lines that we were, but, we may, but he made a fundamental shift in, in the argument that I'm, not, that I'm actually going counter to that. So let's look at this for a second. So Leibniz, when he would look at this question, he would say that, And this is, again, in his letters to Samuel Clark. he says, for God chooses among possibles. Now it's hard to distinguish exactly what he means here, but I think scholarship would say that there are, Leibniz would look at the realm of possibility as something that God just has to pick from. It's kind of detached from his nature. It's just out there. And then God chooses the best one, so it's like the best, it's the best he could do. And I would reject that, okay? So there's that. There's that problem. Then he goes, "What's the reason for his choosing?" And he and th- this is from Stanford Encyclopedia, and it summarizes the what the scholars, the Leibnizian scholars would say. I've not verified this in Leibniz, but let's just assume that they're correct. There are three general interpretations of this. Leibniz believes that God, God's reason for choosing to create the world, is either to maximize human happiness, one, or A, B, maximize the quantity of essence. I don't really understand that, because essence is, I'm not gonna get into essence right now, the distinction between essence and existence, but I don't understand why the creating, choosing to create would maximize essence. Um, But we don't have to get into that right now. C is maximize the quantity of phenomena or just events in the world with the fewest possible laws. So like the function of the universe would be the most simplistic and, functional in that, that sense. Note, what are the, all these three tied to, though? What's the common theme in all of them? What's that? Man, right? So God's reason for choosing is man. And of course, that's completely an error, right? God's reason for choosing is his glory. It's himself. But if you take, I think Leibniz was onto something, though, here. He was onto, I think, a good idea here that he just tied to man and not to God. And that's where the error comes in. So let me ask you this question. This this is where it gets into apologetics, and we often get stumped by atheists, and or just get put into an awkward spot. And we don't need to, but I think it's because we have this error about God choosing to create the world. So here's the question: Is God's story better without the fall? No. So but atheists will say: Well, you know, is the story better if Adam wouldn't have fallen? And we say. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't it good if he wouldn't have sinned? Well, yes, in a sense, but no in another sense, right? Like, you know, there are two different senses are going on here, but they force you into trying to bring them together and they don't go together. And then you're in this awkward position have to having to say yes or no. But if you say uh, no, then you get into, well, why is that? And then typically what happens is your response is you pick out some detail of the story That wouldn't be in the other story and you would then say see I know that that's a better detail than this than not having it like um, the crucifixion and resurrection now there's nothing I'm not saying that's inherently wrong but I think you can get tied into having to defend particulars we don't have to go that route we can just defeat the whole thing in one one swoop so is God's story better without the fall yes he says why he says why we say because this story brings him more glory. Boom, it's done. Well, how do you know that? Well, let's talk through that. That's what we're gonna go through, right? We're gonna go through this proof. But if you tie it to God's glory, you don't have to get into all the minutiae of it. Tie it to his glory. Why did he pick this story? It's the best one. Why is it the best one? Because it's the one that most glorifies himself. That's the only one he'd ever desire to, to create and to write. Mm-hmm. So this is the reality, and so it is the best possible. And then you can reason through why might that be. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's the reason that this is the best possible reality. But some people would say, I wouldn't, of course, but some people would say, that there are many perfect stories, and God could have picked from an unlimited number of them. So they're all equal, and he just picks, you know, which, okay, this is great. Okay, you're anticipating the proof. This is good. Okay.
1: I ask people, what, what are their favorite books, what are their favorite movies, mm-hmm. and then they'll say it. What do they all have in common? Because generally, favorite books and favorite movies have a
0: fall on redemption. Yeah, I yeah. I think that's definitely true, for sure. <clears throat> okay, so. The question, and I brought this, this this proof goes back to like 2019, and I was testing it with certain people in my old church and my old pastor, and then I I went to Karen Karen University and presented it to some students and professors, and and then I presented it even to uh, Vern Poitras in a a class a few years ago. I won't talk about that experience, but anyway, I I presented these proofs to to different uh, people, and overwhelmingly the response is they're nervous about putting God in in a box. They, want to, they don't want to restrict God's freedom. And I understand that concern. I understand that, that hesitation. But we also need to make sure that we don't create his desires to be arbitrary. Like, he has no reason for creating, right? Because clearly, that's wrong. I remember I was in Moscow last October. And I met with a professor there and one of my good friends and we were talking through just stuff and we got into possi- possible worlds and i think he's a tomist unfortunately but he's talking about these things and and we're going through all these details and eventually i, I got I, I tested out my possible worlds proof to him the best story and his response as we we left bootsers and we were walking through the rain and he, he said uh, why does god I said God needs to have a reason for why He's created, and He came back and said, "Why does God need to have a reason?" I was like, what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Because <laughs> God can't be arbitrary, right? <laughs> you know, and it, was, and it was this interesting moment that then we had to get into a car, and it kind of broke broke up. Um, I think you'll find, when I mean, you push people on this, you they want they have good intentions, but they end up making God arbitrary. He does He does give us reason the reason for why He created. His glory, which has been talked through recently. Okay, so let's go through this. Let's go through the proof. Love proofs, okay? We need to, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, the church should just be inundated with proofs. It should just be our common communication. All right, so the first axiom or first assumption that we're going to work through I'm assuming this to be true, okay? I'm not proving it. But if if you think it's reasonable, and I think it is, um, then we just keep going through it, okay? So if if you accept it to be true, then we move on to the second one. If you have some objection, you're welcome to raise it. And if you could refute it, then the whole proof would go away. So it's very easy to work with proofs. That's why we should do more of them. It's very simple. Reject the assumptions. If you don't reject the assumptions, then prove that the reasoning is wrong. But if the reasoning is not wrong, and and you're okay with the definitions, it's done. You gotta accept the conclusion. There are only three ways to refute a proof. It's very clear. All right, first assumption. God's reason for choosing the set of events in a possible world, W, is equivalent to his reason for creating W. Let me state that more layman's terms. So if you take all the events in in a story, take all of the details in a story, God's reason for, take all of them and put them together and hold them in your arms this collection of events, these details. That's a set, okay? God's reason for creating and writing all of those details, I'm saying is equivalent to his reason for the whole story. Is that reasonable? I think it is. I think God's reason for all the details put together is the same as his reason for the whole, right, for the whole story that's actually written out. Any questions on that? gonna be important as we as we work through. Yeah, Tyler. Yeah, (laughs) correct. They would be wrong. Good. All right. So what I mean by God, it's always good to define our terms. This is not just a God, this is the ontological trinity as revealed in the Bible. What do I mean by a possible world? This is not a possible world and that what's possible, you know, based on God's will, it's this is one of the possible worlds based on His ability. This is like, So, this is a… Of all the possible worlds, right, that He could create, we're saying that His, his reason for creating any of them is equivalent for His reason for his, all the details. Does that make sense? So, God's reason for creating any story whatsoever that He could create is the same reason for all the details in that story. All right, let's keep going. Next assumption. All events in a possible world, so take a story, all the details of the story involve a vessel of grace, a vessel of wrath, or a non-human object. Any story Look at the details of the story. You either have a vessel of grace, a vessel of wrath, or a non-human object. I, t- I take human, and I'm breaking it into vessels of grace and vessels of wrath. This will be important as we, as we move through. <clears throat> Questions on that? Jeremiah. Isn't it, isn't it possible that God could have created a world in which neither grace nor wrath yeah. exists? Could, uh, it seems like there are other worlds outside of this proposition. No, you're, you're talking about, well, hold on. Uh, all creatures created by God have grace given to them, right? You're just taking grace and not making it salvific. But grace is broader than just salvation.
1: But could God have created a world in which
0: um, other things exist besides grace grace? I'm not sure, was, Adam, was God gracious to Adam before the fall? Yes. So but was main he a vessel main. of grace? Yes. So I'm not sure you can create a human being who's made in God's image without being a vessel of grace.
1: But I, I think the question is, because
0: you're using the word possible world, yeah. there is a possible world. Yeah, but it's an or here, it's not an and. I'm not saying all possible worlds have all three. And God uh, could also create a world in
1: which he is completely unknown to the world he created.
0: Well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I think it might be against his nature not to make himself, because that's the point of creation is to make himself known to, to, to the creation. So I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about that. But, the point, but it's an or here. It's that all events in any possible world will have at least one of these three. So you're just saying that, yeah, remove one of them in this possible world. That's fine. You can remove both. You could say God could have created a possible world where there were no humans. But that would still fall into this. Yes, Yoast.
1: Yeah, how do you account for unfallen angels in that assumption?
0: Yeah, non-human object. It's not an object. or people. No, I would, I would call it, so we're just differing on the term object here. But, like, I would put mathematical truths as objects as I would this chair, as I would angels. I, mean, I could use object in that way. Like I could, yeah, like you can use object, I think, in that broader way. If you wanted to, you, I could extend it, and I could say vessel of grace, vessel of wrath, angels, or non-human objects.
1: Except that some angels are vessels uh, of wrath. Oh, except that that would,
0: that would never mind me. Okay, so here, here, here's, here's my point in this. Let's, um, I, I just want to get to that these three things encapsulate most stories. How we break up the third one, I think, you know, is, is fine. I'm good with how we want to do that.
1: God's story. Like, sometimes we can use God's story as a way of saying we can understand it, therefore it's God is glorified whether we can understand it or not. Mm-hmm. But if that is true, then what is the possibility then of God's glory? If God is giving only one to understand it, do you understand what I'm saying here? So when we've got, saying someone is suffering, mm-hmm. right? We don't understand the reason for their suffering, we can argue that it's part of a fallen world. Suffering is part of a fallen world. That brings glory to God. And it's form it's for God's glory. Mm-hmm. it could also be, for a number of other reasons, that we don't know all of which bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. At what point? At what point do we make a distinction between that which glorifies God, which only God can understand, and that which glorifies God, which we can also understand? Is are they both equivalent, or is one better than the other?
0: Um. I don't think I have, to, I, I don't think they're equivalent, like I think, God, God, God chose the right event for what it's supposed to do, given the whole story. What if, he, I, I
1: guess my question, is God glorified more when we can understand glory, or is he, or is he glorified in the same whether we can understand it or not?
0: I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I, have no, I have no idea, I have no idea how to rank glories so but but whole but here 's the point though here 's a clear distinction though so I have no idea how to rank, so I know some things that in my life that God has glorified in like I understand the reason for like how he 's glorified in it other things i don 't understand Okay. so is one more glorious than the other i, I, I don 't think that 's the right way to be thinking about it. I think the whole thing is what he chose to do like he, he, he could have chosen it to be differently, he could have chosen it to reveal. All of his glory, the reasons for all of the glory in my life—that's his glory. He could he could have revealed all those reasons to me, but he didn't.
1: Well, if that's true, then it's, all, it's also possible to have mm-hmm. a world possible, the world where only he gets to see his own glory.
0: Oh sure, yeah, but that's not the world he made.
1: Right, but that is an important distinction to understand.
0: Yeah. So, oh yeah.
1: What then is the reason for this possible world?
0: Correct. Okay. Okay, so this is good. This is good. There, there are a ton of different possible worlds where God's glory shows itself differently in the world, right? Based on our understanding or lack of understanding. We could have more understanding. We could have less understanding. We could have no understanding. Well, I'm not, I, see, I'm not sure about the no part because I think, God, I think when God created us, he, created, he creates His creatures to know Him on some level. So I'm not sure about, like, this goes back to Jeremiah's point. He
1: does don't have the no, you then have a standard law. See,
0: it's
1: only with the no you don't have any standards to you don't
0: have any reasonable. So the moment you remove the no, you then have <coughs> so let me let me let me bring this back around. I'm not sure this distinction is going to matter in the proof. I mean I don't think it does. And here's why. Um we're gonna get into a part where can there be two possible worlds that are um, that best glorify God. Can there be two? And I'm going to argue no, there cannot be. They all glorify Him, but one best glorifies Him, and that's the one He chose to create. And I have, a, I have but I have a, I have reasoning to go through that, okay, to, to prove that. <clears throat> actually, it's yeah, yeah yep. It's going to be that's actually going to be next time, so save it for next time. But. So is, is that getting to the... So I I understand...
1: Uh, yeah, no, I can see where you're going. I, mm-hmm. But you can see the reason for my, yeah. my question because if we end up... Um, the question is not so much what God knows from his position, but how do we tell the difference? Because you're teaching, mm-hmm. and it's going to come down to how we reason through these arguments sure. to to that reality.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I don't... I don't th- I think we can all agree that we understand he's glorified, how, why he's glorified in some things or why he chose to do something the way he did it in some situations. I think we'd all agree on that, right? So the, so the distinction is just, well, why not more or less of our knowing, right? That's what you're getting at. Right. But I, what I'm saying is I don't think it matters for the proof in the sense that the one he chose is the best, the best uh, ratio. <laughs> he chose the best one. And, and, and then here's a key, this is a key distinction where I guess we're going to have to end on this part, this point. Here's a key distinction in this, a very key distinction. We, we assume that a better story is always to know more. And I am saying that's false. If it was better, he would have written it that way, but he didn't. I find this very comforting. It doesn't get me trapped into all these situations where I have to try to figure out the best story. And, that, and basically, there's an endless... You you could basically just change every detail in God's story, most of them, to make it better. And I think that's false, completely false. So like Job, you go to Job's story. If Job wouldn't have eventually rebelled against God, which he did, okay? And God chastised him gently for it out of of a tornado, okay? He comes and chastises Job. Different than Job's friend's error, right? The error of Job's friends was... The wrath of God is going to come upon you unless Job prays for you. (laughs) You like these are very different errors that's going on here. But would the story be better if Job wouldn't have rebelled in that way? Because eventually, you move through the book of Job, his prayers turn to he's giving up hope. And God corrects him for that. That's the whole point of asking him all these questions, is to correct Job on that. So would it be better, would the story be better, if Job didn't need that correction? And I think the answer is no, it's not.
1: I was thinking slightly further ahead than that. So all the things that we don't know the reason why to now, in your, in this world, we will never know. Because now we don't need to.
0: Wait, so you're saying because of what I'm arguing, we don't ever have to know?
1: Well, not only not.
0: Or we do not have know. the desire to know?
1: Or okay, we, we, we couldn't possibly.
0: I don't, think that, I don't think that's required from, from the argument, but maybe it is, but so let's, let's work through it. And then let's look, at. I don't think it is. Like I think this story is the best story that God could write and he's writing it and we're part of it, which, is, which should be comforting, right? Should be the most comforting thought that we have is that this, we didn't have to be created, but yet this is the, the best story that God could write. We're in it and we're his child. How do you not have purpose in life with, with that? Um, But but the point, though, is that can be true, and I can still desire to know certain things that I don't know right now about God's purposes, which I think he'll teach us as it gets into eternity, but I think that's what we're going to spend doing. I think we're going to be learning through laboring, through figuring out, we're going to be studying God for eternity, but I don't think it's just going to be standing there and staring at God, although that would be glorious and will be, of course, but he tends to teach us through labor. Through study, through discovery, right? That's We tend to learn that way. Through creation, cre- creating. I think that's what we're going to be doing in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, is we will be doing that forever. We'll be learning about God, and we'll be learning his purposes. But will there be purposes we never understand ever? Yes, of course. His ways will always be above our ways. You know, and... Okay, so if this limits, this would be a good refutation of the proof, is if what I'm saying limits, so if, if it rejects some other theological point, which I think you're trying to bring out at least to clarification on, if it rejects some other theological point that we think is true, that we have stronger convictions that it's true, then there's an error here. But I don't think it does, so we'll go, go through it. Great questions, guys. This is, yes, sir. Correct. What was the
1: question?
0: So basically, take any story, take any possible world, and I'm going to say an object is just every particular in that story. I'll define as an object, okay? Take all the objects, you put them into buckets. They are either a, now the bucket could be empty, okay? But you could have objects of grace, this would be grace that's salvific, or this could just be grace like Adam had grace prior to the fall right? The act of creation itself is a grace to the, to the created object. So vessels of grace there, but I'm limiting this to humans just for, you'll see why as we get here. Uh, of the stories where there is a fall, we have vessels of wrath, likely in those stories, and then you have everything else, which is non-human objects, angels, sets, um, truths in mathematics, truths in logic, uh, Lord of the Rings, like everything else. Okay, is, in the, is in that bucket. I'm not missing anything there. The reason why I'm doing that is what we're going to see is when we read through Scripture, all, when we see about God's purposes in these three buckets, God's purposes in vessels of grace, God's purposes in vessels of wrath, God's purposes in created things that aren't human, what we'll notice is it's always about his glory. Sometimes we'll talk about his name, right, for my name's sake, which is the same, same thing. It's for God's glory. Every detail is for God's glory. See, but I have to state that, though. I have to capture that, though, in this. And you're going to see why, well, you would see in the first. We'll get through this next time. Um, I have to capture all the details of the story and then show that all these details, God's glorified in them. And then from there, we're going to get to that God's glory is not detached from His reason. So that's this first inference that we're making is that God's reason for creating any world is never detached and cannot be detached from his glory. But I want to prove that. I don't want to just assume that. I think most people would just grant the point, but some would disagree with it like Arminians. And I don't want to give them a way out. So I want to prove it. All right. We will finish this next time. I promise. We'll go through it quicker next time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the minds that you've given us. We thank you that we get to discover discover more of who you are in our reasoning. I pray that you give us grace in that reasoning, help us to reflect and to grow closer to you, and to grow in fellowship in this. Lord, I pray that you would lift us up in worship today and that we would be united in our doctrine, united in our fellowship, and united in how we build the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.